Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is a podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And today we bring you a profile on one of the very few coaches to make it into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, having only coached high school basketball. In fact, There are only three coaches in the Hall of Fame for having coached only high school basketball. One of them is Morgan Wooten, who coached at DeMatha Catholic High School in Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C. Another is Robert Hughes, who coached at Dunbar High School, which is, coincidentally, also in Maryland, in the city of Baltimore. The third one is our subject for today. It is totally understandable why it is so difficult to make it into the Hall of Fame as a high school coach. Hardly anyone gets to see what they do. They might be well known in their local community, but that will probably be it. Once a coach makes it to the college ranks or the professional ranks, then they get seen by millions of people. So to get in while only coaching in high school is a major accomplishment. He is one of only 10 high school coaches to win over 1,000 games in their careers. He has won 26 New Jersey State Championships. He's had eight undefeated seasons and four national championships. That means that four times his team was ranked number one in the nation at the end of the season. About a half dozen of his players have gone on to play in the NBA, including his own son, Bobby Hurley. You might remember Bobby from his days at Duke University where he won two NCAA championships alongside Christian Leitner and Grant Hill. But this story is about Bob Hurley, the father. So let's go back to the beginning. He was born on July 31st, 1947 in Jersey City, New Jersey. He's lived there his entire life. His own father was a Jersey City police officer who loved basketball. His father coached youth basketball through the CYO, Catholic Youth Organization. George Mikan played CYO basketball in Chicago in the 1940s, and Paul Arizon played CYO basketball in Philadelphia also in the 1940s. So young Bob grew up around the game watching his father coach the game. Bob attended St. Peter's Prep School where he played basketball, and he would be one of the first to admit that while he loved the game, he was not an overly talented player. At the age of 25, he took over as the new head coach of the boys basketball team at St. Anthony High School. But he was not a teacher at the school like most high school coaches are. He had a full-time job outside of coaching. Bob Hurley was a probation officer. That is how he made his living. He took a small stipend to coach the school's basketball team, but eventually he even refused that. Basically, for most of the last half of his coaching career, he took no money at all. He coached for free. Further, he would take on paid speaking engagements to speak to community groups and coaches groups. He was an in-demand speaker because of his success on the basketball court, and he never kept a single speaking fee for himself. Every time the organization asked him who to make the check out to, he would always say, make it out to St. Anthony High School. You see, for years, St. Anthony High School was a private Catholic school for the local Catholic kids living in the neighborhood. 
But during the 1960s and 1970s, the neighborhood had completely changed. It changed from being a predominantly white, middle-class Catholic neighborhood to a predominantly black, low-income neighborhood. The Catholic diocese in charge of the school decided that it was no longer going to fund the school's operations. They assumed that the school would simply close, but they did not count on two nuns who would have none of it. Sister Allen and Sister Felicia of the Felician Order vowed to keep the school open as long as it was possible to serve the neighborhood where they were located. They had fundraisers going on constantly to help cover operations and tuition costs for most of the students who attended. When Bob Hurley showed up in 1972 as the new basketball coach, he jumped in and committed to helping the sisters keep the school open. Over the years, because of the success of the basketball team, Hurley was able to raise a lot of money for the school and keep it open for decades beyond what anyone thought they should be open. Hardly any of the students that went to St. Anthony could pay the tuition, but Bob Hurley believed in his community. He believed in Jersey City, and he was going to make sure that that school stayed open. That is why he donated every single speaking fee to the school. He was raised by a father who gave back to the community, and he followed in those footsteps and did the same thing. Over a 39-year career as the coach at St. Anthony, Hurley sent over 150 of his players to college with a Division I scholarship. He gave every single one of these players an opportunity to change their lives and to change their families' lives. Most of those players earned their college degrees and found success, and they have Bob Hurley to thank for that. He is a tough coach and gives tough love. There is a Showtime documentary called The Street Stops Here that followed St. Anthony during the 2009-2010 season and provided one of the best behind-the-scenes look into Hurley and his basketball program. There is also an amazing book by Adrian Wojnarowski called The Miracle of St. Anthony that followed the team during the 2003-2004 season when they went undefeated without a single senior who went to Division I. Yes, that is the same Wojnarowski who drops his famous Woj bombs covering the NBA for ESPN. To say that Bob Hurley was a pillar of the community would be a serious understatement. He was both selfless and extremely demanding as a coach. But there are a lot of guys who had great high school coaching careers. Why did Bob Hurley become known nationally in basketball circles? Remember, he has sent over 150 of his players to Division I college programs. Every college coach in the country knew who Bob Hurley was because he produced a steady stream of fundamentally sound players who really knew how to play basketball. It was almost as if he was a Division I basketball factory. He produced kids who could not only play, but who were, for the most part, respectful and ready to learn. That success began to produce more success. Players from around the area wanted to transfer to St. Anthony because they knew Hurley's reputation and that he prepared his players to play at the next level. But it was his 1989 team that really put him on the map beyond just basketball circles. He had what some consider the greatest high school basketball team of all time. His son Bobby was the point guard along with Terry DeHare and Roderick Rhodes. All three of them would become first round NBA draft picks just a few years later. By high school standards, that is an obscene amount of talent on one team. Rarely does a coach get to have three future NBA players on the same high school team at the same time. He also conditioned his team to be able to play full court defense for the entire game if necessary. Many opposing teams said that playing St. Anthony was like playing against seven players on the court. The St. Anthony players were everywhere, hands in their faces, full court, the whole thing. 
One story that really stuck out to me was a player he worked with named Hank Rivers. This is a player who had really been in trouble with the law and was on probation for running drugs and other crimes related to his association with a local street gang. Hurley normally did not take on such a player, but this player was the nephew of David Rivers, a former St. Anthony player and a member of the 1989 LA Lakers team that lost in the NBA Finals to the Detroit Pistons. He was Magic Johnson's backup and suddenly found himself as a starter as a rookie in the NBA Finals against Isaiah Thomas when Magic tore his hamstring. So, as a favor to David, Hurley took on Hank Rivers. Over the next three years, Rivers developed into a pretty good player. Hank Rivers ended up playing at a community college in Nebraska before transferring to Stephen F. Austin University in Texas. He graduated with a bachelor's degree and is doing very well for himself. Hank Rivers admits that without Coach Hurley pouring into him, he would have probably ended up in jail or dead. Hurley saved the kid's life, and he saved many kids' lives through his basketball coaching. On many occasions, he had been offered college jobs. He was approached by St. John's University, Fordham University, and a number of other colleges in the New York and New Jersey areas. It was a chance for a much higher salary and a higher profile. It was what many high school coaches dream of, moving up from high school to college and maybe someday the professional ranks of coaching. But he always turned it down. He believed he was doing more good in Jersey City, working as a probation officer, and coaching at St. Anthony for free. Eventually, in 2010, he was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. He was the only coach that year to be inducted, and many thought that he should have been inducted years earlier, and I would not disagree with that, except here is how you get into the Hall of Fame. First, someone has to nominate you for induction, and I wasn't aware of that before the story. There is a ton of paperwork that needs to be filled out, and only then does the Hall of Fame committee begin to review and vote on your candidacy. Most big-time coaches and players have entire public relations teams that do most of this work for them, but Bob Hurley was never interested in that process. He never asked anybody to nominate him, and he did not have a PR team to handle it on his behalf. So it was not like the Hall of Fame committee was ignoring him. Him, it is that Hurley was not interested in going through essentially an application process, but someone eventually took up the case on his behalf and he got in on the first try. The coaching bug also runs to the next generation of his family. His son Bobby had his NBA career cut short after he endured a horrible car accident that nearly took his life. Bobby Hurley is now the head coach at Arizona State University. His younger son Danny played his college ball at Seton Hall and is now the head coach at the University of Connecticut. Hurley announced his retirement at the end of the 2017 season. With his announcement, donations to the school plummeted and the school, always on shaky financial ground, had to announce that it was closing its doors at the end of the same school year. Bob Hurley literally kept that school going for nearly 40 years on the strength of the basketball program. In his retirement, he continues to run free basketball clinics for the kids of Jersey City to help teach them the fundamentals of the game and life skills to take them beyond basketball. He also watches as many UConn and Arizona State games as he can to see how his sons are doing. Bob Hurley is an inspiration, and I hope that you are also inspired by this story. He epitomizes what it means to give back. Well, that's it for today. Join us next week when we cover the story of an NBA game from the 1970s where three players played for both teams. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. 
Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already... We have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.